From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast of one of the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders of the 3D printing industry. Talking about structures to a lot of people, sometimes it's not it's not the most uh, interesting thing to capture people's attention and get people to on board to learn what you're doing. So I've had to work with uh, minimal resources through the Air Force, and one of the thing, one of the ways I work with minimal resources is to uh, uh, is to fail fast and learn even faster. That was Anomi Scott Amokapur. Anomi is currently the founder of Hyphen Innovations, a company he recently started based on the work he started at the Air Force Research Lab on gas turbine engine designs. Anomi received his BS from Wright State University, where he studied mechanical engineering while competing on the men's basketball team. He received both his MS and PhD in mechanical engineering from The Ohio State University. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. And we can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or your team are looking for materials, qualification, or general added manufacturing support, reach out to us here or through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. Anami, thanks so much for joining the show today. Excited for, for the conversation. I, I saw you talk at, at IMTS. Love your story and um, excited to to kind of share kind of what you're working on with with the audience today. So um, I like to start these conversations to, to place some context to like go back away to the beginning. So um, kind of where, where'd you grow up? Where were you born? Kind of what, what got you started on the path towards manufacturing, kind of liking to work with your hands and, and seeing how things work? Uh, yeah, first, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's always, uh, uh, it's always nice to know that, you know, that people want to talk to you and people want to hear from you. So, uh, so I really appreciate, uh, having this opportunity. Uh, so, uh, where did I, the start? So the start, I was born in, uh, Lansing, Michigan. Uh, uh, I like to say born and raised, but I wasn't fully raised there because uh, when I was three, I moved to Nigeria, lived there for about six years. And uh, and then from there, I moved to uh, England and lived there for about about a year or so before moving back to Lansing, Michigan. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, kind of a very uh, dynamic uh, upbringing in different cultures. Uh, I'm a first-generation American. My parents are uh, are uh, were born and raised in Nigeria, so um, so I have this uh, very uh, broad uh, scale of of cultures that uh, kind of influenced who I am. Um, but yeah, growing up, I, I I never you know was really into um, technology per se. I mean, I was, but I never grew up saying, oh, this is definitely something I want to do. Like, I want to, you know, build, you know, robots or I want to, you know, build cars or whatever. I, I never thought that. Um, weirdly enough, one of the things that uh, that really captured me and also, I mean, until today I, I bring it up, is uh, 
uh, the movie Real Genius uh, yeah. with uh, Val Kilmer. Uh, Laszlo Hollyfeld was uh, <laughs> was a character. I was like, man, I really would love to have a layer like Laszlo Hollyfeld. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the time, I was just like, oh, I just would like to have a layer. I didn't really correlate that to, you know, uh, to being a guy who worked in a very secluded lab and, you know, focused highly on his technology. But then when I, you know, got older, when I, you know, got to college, when I started working at the Air Force, uh, and uh, working in my uh, in my structure structural engineering lab, uh, the lab was is actually a uh, modular building inside a building. So, you know, you go into the building, you don't see like you don't see the outside world. Uh, it's you know, if you go in early in the morning in the winter time and you leave in the evening some days you don't see the sun <laughs> so so it's one of those buildings and like i was like i really like this place and it, and it took a while before i like i connected the two like oh this is like oh laszlo hollyfield's lair <laughs> it's probably why i like it so much um but um but yeah it's i i didn't really grow up you no know, wanted to dive into technology i just uh it was one of those things where it was kind of like a, a natural progression. Like I, you know, I was I was good at math. Uh, I started taking math classes. I decided, you know, uh, my dad uh, steered me towards engineering. So I went from math to engineering. Started working in the lab. Started tying the dots together, and all of a sudden, I just I just kind of ran with it. Um, awesome. Yeah. And so. Um... Part of that journey you were talking about at an IMTS was also around kind of sports and basketball. So how did that tie into what you were doing on the um, just kind of the academic journey as you're you're starting on? I think like I resonate with that. I played baseball growing all the way up and in college, and I think from there's a lot of different lessons that you can take from from playing sports and and being in as part of a team to complement what you learn in the academic realm. Yeah, uh, there's uh, there there are so many connections with sports and uh, and academics and, and and teams that you know as a kid you don't really tie them together. You don't you don't realize that you are taking uh, uh, lessons or you're taking uh, philosophies from sports and applying it into the classroom. Like it doesn't uh, doesn't really register. Um, but yeah, I you know I, I played basketball. I started playing basketball when I was twelve. Uh, played all the way through you know middle school and high school. Uh, got a scholarship to Wright State. Uh, played there for two and a half years ish. I, I got injured like right before my third year started, but played through it until I couldn't anymore and focused on school. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, one of the things that I got from sports was uh, repetition uh, that you know applied to academics and also applied to professional uh, life as well. Uh, one of my favorite videos to, to watch is like, uh, like uh, Steph Curry hits a game winner 
and they zoom in on, on the shot and his eyes are closed as he's shooting because like there are like three people like you know in his face and everyone's like oh my god he shot with his eyes closed he couldn't see anything how did he do it it's like well he's he's probably shot that shot you know thousands of times probably shot it hundreds of times just the day before you know and so it's like once you built that repetition it's like you know all of a sudden these things you know uh when you actually apply it, it becomes second nature. Uh, and that's, that was actually what I did when I studied for my qualifying exams. Uh, I just did the same type of problem over and over and over and over again. <laughs> and, uh, and so when it got time to actually take the qualifying exam, uh, I was like, oh, I know how to do this. <laughs> like, it just because I, I built that repetition. But uh, that way of studying, just doing the exact same thing over and over again, uh, I, I think, you know, I got that from basketball where it's like, you know, uh, elbows in, release rotation when you shoot, you know, over and over and over again. And so uh, uh, repetition, I would say, was one of the things that I, that I really you know, took with me, even down to, you know, when you're setting up a test. You go through all your checks. You check all your monitors. You check all your all your sensors. Uh, you check all your limits so that you know you don't uh, <laughs> you know put an extra zero in there, and all of a sudden instead of pulling at a thousand pounds, you're pulling at ten thousand. You know, like it's uh, that that sense of repetition, always going through the same process, uh, is very much like is very much sports related. So. Uh, that's one. That's one of the main things. Just that discipline of repetition. And so, can you walk us through a little bit of like as you got into college, you're you're playing basketball and you're kind of studying hard. What was kind of your um, thinking in terms of kind of what degree you were looking at, where you wanted to go in terms of academic paths and graduate school, things like that. What what were were you kind of thinking at the time? So I went to school to play basketball, and be honest. Uh, and school was just the, you know, the uh, vehicle to playing basketball. Um, so, like, I just I did the work to get the grade to play basketball. Uh, I did that for two and a half years, um, and then you know, after after I got injured, after you know, kind of. Uh, trying to figure out, all right, what do I want to do in my life? Um, then, you know, even then I was like, oh, I, I got this far in school. You might as well keep passing classes, right? And I did that all the way until, you know, I, I started looking for a job. And at that point, everyone was like, what kind of job do you want? What do you want to be when you get older? And I was like, I have no idea. That's why I need a job, <laughs> you know? I want to I want to at least check things off the list. It was kind of my my thought process like like I'll work here if I like it I'll stay if I don't I'll check it off the list and go get a job somewhere else and I applied at different places I looked at like machine shops uh and what were you studying what did you study as as an undergrad um mechanical engineering okay yeah so so yeah so so I went into mechanical engineering the main reason I went into mechanical engineering was because you know I I had a uh the other thing that I was interested in as a kid was art. And I was told that in mechanical engineering, you get to draw, have mm -hmm. mechanical drawings. I didn't, you know, 
I was like, all right, well, sure. That, that, that sound, that seems close enough. So that was like literally the only reason. Uh, but then, you know, I, when I got injured, I was like, all right, I got to figure out, you know, what I want to do. So I looked at machine shops. I looked at automotive industry. I looked at, uh, uh, looked at some computational modeling, uh, jobs and, uh, ultimately landed a job in a structural integrity lab, which, uh, just so happened to coincide with all the classes that I did well in, um, was, you know, uh, strength of materials and, uh, you know, uh, dynamics and statics. And I was like, all right, well, these are the classes I did well in. So, you know, maybe this is the place for me. And, and then, uh, started learning, uh, uh, about, uh, turbine engine structures and structural integrity there and uh, testing. And uh, and once I started learning more about that, I was like, I think this is what I like to do. But I didn't, I still didn't really know about jobs. So because of that, it was kind of like, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I don't know where I'm going to work. So uh, I can just go get a master's and someone's going to pay for my school and then pay me. And I just get to keep doing the same thing I'm doing in this lab. Uh, so I did that, and then I got done with my master's. I still didn't really know what job that I wanted to do, but I knew I liked what I was doing. So, again, the same thing. I was like, well, I might as well just get a Ph.D., get paid to go to school, and keep doing what I'm doing. I did that. Uh, got done there. I was like, I still kind of don't know. Oh, there's this postdoc that lets me do uh, – the same thing, but not take any classes at all. Yeah. And I get paid way more. <laughs> it's like, well, the joke's on you guys. All right, I'll keep getting paid to do the same thing. Uh, and then, you know, when I finally got a job as a civilian with the research lab, <laughs> even still was the, you know, I remember asking my boss, you know, so what do you want me to do? And he's like, I don't know, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> it was, you know, it's like, oh, so, okay, so I'm just going to keep doing the exact same thing I've always been doing. And uh, so for 21 and a half years, I've kind of been doing the same thing. It's just that as my knowledge base evolved, so did the uh, impact of the work that I did. Uh, I went from, you know, just running a few coupon specimens, not really understanding the details of what I was doing, to you know, all the way to understanding the manufacturing the materials, the design of a turbine engine component. But it was the same uh, exploratory uh, activity from start to finish. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's not a uh, it's it's not a uh, it's not the ideal journey, but uh, it's uh, it's it's been relatively stress-free for me because I, I feel like uh, uh, I feel like at every turn I was always excited and eager to advance and learn more as I Take, worked and taking that repetition mantra to heart right I keep doing yes. yep. yeah work on getting getting more knowledgeable on on what you're doing so um, exactly. so one of the last steps that you mentioned in there was kind of um, jumping into the Air Force Research Lab um, okay. for folks who may not be aware of what, what that is or like what what's its function at a high level, do you want to just give a, a couple-minute overview of what, what is that organization and, and what, what, uh, what sorts of stuff do you do there? 
the Air Force Research Lab is the uh, is the initiator for transition in technology that supports uh, the uh, the air dominance uh, mission for the Department of Defense. Uh, and when I talk about transition of technology, I'm talking about like from just the concept, you know, guys sitting around and saying, we should look at this because it, you know, on the back end uh, supports this specific need uh, for a defense strategy for the Air Force. And then taking that concept and turning it into a real thing, essentially going from zero to one, you know, like the, uh, the, the, uh, the Peter Thiel book where he talks about, you know, going from zero to one, that's the going from zero to one is the you know, largest leap that you can have in, in, uh, in technological advancement, because at zero, you have nothing, <laughs> you know, you have a bunch of, you know, guys talking at a water cooler or something, you know, like you have nothing. And going from that to actually having something, having a, like a tangible, uh, uh, you know, uh, finding that is, uh, that's the biggest leap you, that you can make is even, it's a b even bigger leap from one to zero by any number, you're going to get zero. You have nothing. So, so, uh, AFRL is essentially going from that zero to one where, uh, we're taking concepts and, and, and uh, and turning it into, uh, into something valuable that can then potentially be transitioned into a final product or system that benefits the uh, the Air Force's mission. Uh, so uh, there there are different obviously there are different technologies all relating to uh, all relating to the air air dominance uh, human factors. Uh, where I worked, uh, my entire life was in propulsion and propulsion structures. So, uh, so when I talk about doing material testing and going from that all the way to a structural component, that is essentially going from that concept to, uh, you know, from that concept to actually actually having something in hand that can uh, that can support uh, the Air Force strategy. So, um, so yeah, that's. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if that was a, a uh, that was yeah, a description no, that's, of that's, from the that's, Air Force will actually give, yeah. but uh, but that that's how I see it. It's you know taking yeah. this up from concept all the way to you know uh, transitionable item. And are you are the folks that like yourselves in in AFRL are they kind of subject matter experts that are like pointed at different directions, missions, programs, whatever you may want to call it at different times. So are you working on like a couple different things? Or are you like laser focused on this system for this vehicle, this plane? Yeah. Like is it is it kind of a a big organization that like you're you're kind of working it within? Yeah, it's 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 a large organization and every portion of, of uh AFRL has their own uh strategy of how they want to advance technology. Um, you know, for uh, for the propulsion guys, for turbine engine guys, uh, it's it's really you know what uh, what propulsion system best matches a specific need for um, 
for the Air Force. Um, so kind of uh, uh, taking a small portion of uh, of that statement and the you know, turbine engine uh, propulsion needs, taking that and applying that to, uh, translating that to what, uh, what I'm doing as, as an entrepreneur, uh, one of the uh, key strategic needs for the Air Force is uh, a low-cost asset. You think about uh, America's uh, military assets and uh, when it comes to the Air Force, uh, a lot of the uh, cool, you know, uh, publicly known ones are, you know, the, you know, F-35 or the F-22, and it's like, oh, these are, you know, great assets, and, like, no one can compete with these, and, but you look at the cost of it, and it's like, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> no, <clears throat> like, you can't, you can't lose one of those, you know, <laughs> and so it's like, uh, it's almost like having, you know, uh, uh, having some eight, $8,000, you know, uh, sunglasses on, right? It's, you know. Yeah, you need some Ray-Bans, right? Yeah, guy, <laughs> the, those Ray-Bans are the best sunglasses in this room. But that guy is also, like, clutching those Ray-Bans pretty tight. He can't lose them, right? <laughs> so it's like, you know, maybe you need, like, 20 gas stations sunglasses. <laughs> so yeah. If you lose it, you just go back and get another one. And so – uh and so what I'm doing is essentially looking into uh, developing low-cost assets. And, and, and that's a specific mission for uh, you know, turbine engines and, and the Air Force is looking into low-cost low assets. Like we've done the really expensive, you know, uh, adaptable, uh, uh, you know, propulsion systems. And now it's like, all right, how do we make things really cheap? How do we make it so cheap that if you lose it or if you break it or if it doesn't perform as intended, then you just kind of shrug and you just go with the next one. Mm -hmm. Or you make it so cheap that uh, that you're not dealing with supply chain issues. Uh, or you make it so cheap that you know, it has components in it that aren't reliant on some uh, uh, you know, foreign entity to provide it to you and uh, and then you know if there's a war that you know comes out of nowhere uh you know your prices don't get you know driven up you know by you know two three x you know it's uh and so that in itself is and it sounds like a very you know trivial mission to fulfill but it's you know it's Trivial is is yeah. It's game changing. That would apply to it. It's just, it's absolutely game changing to make yeah. something really cheap that's effective. Yeah, because so, you have uh, strategies can be different, right? If in, right. in terms of what what you're thinking about from a deployment of of resources and and vehicles, and and then also, I mean, like what uh, you kind of hinted on it there. Um, maybe probe a little bit more on this, but when you think of making things low cost, there's a couple of ways. Like there's numerous ways to think about making something low cost and and i guess where where's the focus area for you is it kind of a better design so you're maybe using less materials is it a okay let's make it so simple that a machine shop can or some low cost manufacturing um outfit can can really do this locally like where where's kind of the approach that makes 
like it, that it makes the b- biggest bang for your buck when you're thinking about making something that's low cost uh it, it's it's a combination of, of a lot of everything you just said uh it just uh uh, for me, uh, you know, in, in my business, I'm uh, you know, hyphen innovations. We're we're trying to attack it from several different fronts. We're attacking it from a uh, uh, how do you make an asset low cost based on the maintenance that's done on it? Uh, it's like, all right, if you reduce the cost of maintenance, uh, then all of a sudden it's lower cost than it used to be. Or if you uh, if you develop a viable uh, comprehensive repair process for a component. Now, all of a sudden, the cost of, uh, of of maintenance is also down because you don't have to purchase so many spare parts. Um, and then you can you know uh, one of the other ways we're looking at it is we're trying to also develop uh, manufacturing processes that are low cost. Uh, so we're looking into uh, uh, metal FDM processes that are uh, that are taking the same concept as desktop metal and mark forge and we're looking at it from an even cheaper perspective uh, cheaper furnace a cheaper printer uh, and in that way all of a sudden it's like you know instead of spending a quarter million dollars on the resources to manufacture these components now you're spending a fraction of that and you can fill a room with manufacturing capability of you know uh, 10x of what you would get on on the current market uh, with you know this rapid manufacturing capability you can make a whole bunch of parts really quickly and deliver them. <clears throat> um, we're also looking at it from uh, from a weight perspective as well, uh, where you have current systems. You, well, can we make the current system perform the exact you know the the uh, exact same way as far as uh, power? Uh, but make it lighter. And if you make it lighter, we're not now you can uh, uh, now you have better fuel efficiency. You have uh, better payload capability. Um, uh, so it, it's uh, those are uh, those are three ways that uh, that that you know, hyphen innovation is actually looking at it. We're looking at it from a uh, from a maintenance, we're looking at it from uh, reducing the resources required to manufacture, and we're looking at it from a, from a weight reduction perspective. Uh, yeah. Those three things are high on, on, on priority. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right on. I mean, one, one thing that we see a lot on the kind of qualification side is that some of these systems are so ex- expensive and just to buy, <laughs> not even yeah. to run, that it could take... And they're complicated in a lot of ways, like some of these metal yeah. systems where it could take 18 months and a million and a half dollars to yeah. qualify a single material and a single machine like that, that has its place. Um, mm-hmm. There are certainly going to be applications for that, but but there's this whole area that you're playing in where, okay, can we de-risk this by making it low cost and making trade-offs and, and, and making realizing like, hey, like if it if it crashes or like we don't want anybody to get hurt, but if the vehicle yeah. itself is destroyed and not in the world. <laughs> we're gonna yeah, and, and that's, and that's one, uh, you mean, you, you brought up a very good point. You know, when, 
when we talk about lower cost asset, a lot of times it's not attached to a man rated system. Uh, that that's 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 one key thing that that, that shouldn't be mentioned because it's like you know people are like well, I don't I don't want to get on a cheap plane <laughs> with cheap parts. It's like no, it's uh, a lot of stuff that we're that 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 we that we talk about when we talk about you know low cost. It's not man rated things. It's mm-hmm. you know maybe it's uh it's uh, equipment transport. Uh, uh, could be munition. It could be uh, surveillance and reconnaissance. Uh, just you know whatever it's just you know how do we reduce the cost where if we lose this thing it's not it's not the biggest you know uh it's not the biggest deal in the world we can print another one because you know we have uh you know we have a 10 by 10 room with uh with five printers and 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 furnaces that you know can print out five parts and 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 have them ready to go in you know in less than 48 hours you know so so yeah, it's we're, we're, most of the most of the low cost stuff is focused on you know uh, on uh, you know uh, autonomous vehicles and uh, non man rated vehicles. And so do you? I mean, you mentioned a couple of times, but like you're you're kind of transitioning out of the Air Force now. You've got kind of jumping straight into the the startup world. So talk a little yeah. bit about that that journey and and kind of where you are and and what you're looking to do there. So. Uh, so that journey started with uh, with the development of a uh, vibration suppression technology, where uh, where we developed a, a technology that leverages powder metallurgy from additive manufacturing, and uh, strategic strategically places it within a very small volume of a component, and, and is able to suppress vibration by up to ninety five percent. And by suppressing vibration, you're suppressing the uh, uh, vibratory or fatigue failure mechanisms that can uh, that can be detrimental to components by 95% as well. Uh, so I started with that, and then the Air Force has a, it's a pretty cool program. It's called the Entrepreneur Opportunity Program, where uh, if you have if you created Air Force technology uh, that uh, that you believe is uh, is a transitionable technology, an Air Force gives you a year to explore the commercial space and see whether you can uh, uh, whether you can transition this technology and and uh, and develop it in a way where it's uh, it's got dual benefit both for uh, the Air Force and as you know just the, uh, the commercial space as well and. Uh, so uh, I've taken that uh, vibration suppression technology. I've gone through the program. I've uh, identified uh, several places where this technology can be applied specifically for low-cost applications, for maintenance, uh, for uh, for using low-cost manufacturing uh, uh, capabilities, and also for reducing weight. Uh, uh, I've, I've explored these commercial spaces and, and uh and as of uh, this month, I uh, am now uh, 100% operating Hyphen Innovations, which is uh, which is the company that is going to be the transition vehicle for this technology. And uh, thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's it's been quite the journey. You know, uh, I've been doing the same thing for 21 and a half years, and now it's uh, uh, I'm essentially starting from scratch. But uh, 
but I'm pretty excited about it just because I'm excited about you no know, excited about the technology. I'm excited about uh, being able to transition it, and I'm excited about you know how uh, how it can be applied to helping the Air Force meet their uh, uh, defense strategy missions. So, um, so yeah, so 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 that's been the start of my uh, start of my journey. Uh, uh, we have investors. Uh, so that's that's always a good thing to to have when when you have a startup. So we we have investors that, that are supporting us and you know, supporting us in in every in, in every aspect. You know, from uh, just a business perspective, business development, uh, infrastructure. Uh, so yeah, we're ready to hit the ground running in the next few months and start to uh, produce uh, some uh, some pretty good technology uh, from using our accelerated R&D processes, low-cost manufacturing, and, uh, and also uh, uh, accelerated design of turbine engine components. Fantastic. And uh, as what's one of the one or two of the lessons you've, you've learned from kind of being in AFRL that you've kind of want to transition into how you run your business as you get it started up? Do you have a, a philosophy that you're you're trying to maybe not just AFRL but kind of your entire kind of career? Like, is there a ph- philosophy that you're you're trying to follow? Um. Yeah. So so one of the things that um um one of the things that that I I, I got out of the Air Force uh, mainly that this has to do with uh with the amount of funding and the resources that were available to you know uh, me as a as a structures engineer uh you know talking about structures to a lot of people sometimes it's not it's not the most uh interesting thing to capture people's attention and get people to on board to fund what you're doing so i've had to work with uh minimal resources through the air force and one of the thing one of the ways i work with minimal resources is to uh, uh, is to fail fast and learn even faster. Um, and that's the same thing with sports too, right? It's like, you know, you don't, it, uh, sometimes you can overthink how you're going to, you know, uh, play the other team or you can overthink how you're going to do this plan that you get out on the field or you get out on the court and nothing is like the way you planned it. It's like and the Mike the Mike Tyson quote, right? Like you can have a great uh, great plan until yeah. you get punched in the face. <laughs> exactly. Everybody has a great plan until you get punched <laughs> in the face. And it's like, yeah, that's and for me it's like, well, I'd rather get punched in the face and figure out how you punched me in the face and then stop you from punching me in the face the next time. So it's yeah. kinda, you know, uh, uh, that that's 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 what I've learned working working uh in the space I was working with, with minimal resources is, all right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, you know, try to address this problem the best way as possible. And then, uh, I'm going to, uh, take my lessons learned from this application and do it better the next time. I feel like that's the best way to kind of understand what you're getting into is to go out there get it done and then once you get it done dissect everything that happened and come back and optimize it it it, it, to me you you go through less iterations 
when you just go out there and do it. Yep. And you have that debrief at the end too, where you're actually willing to to learn and listen like, Hey, like that wasn't the right thing. And then that's awesome. Cool. I mean, one, one last question. Um, I think we have a pretty wide ranging audience, people at different stages in their career. Um, what advice would you give on kind of exploring a career in advanced manufacturing and, and kind of getting, getting that first step in the door? Uh, well, it depends on the, 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 the stage that you're at, but I mean, you know, it, I, I would just follow up on what I just said, really. It's just, uh, just go out there and do it. Um, you know, sometimes people, uh, and I get this a lot with, uh, with, you know, some younger, uh, students where it's like, you know, well, you tell me you're an engineer, it's like, oh, you must be really smart or you must be really good at math and it's like why and i just i just wanted to do it like take the really smart and the really good out of it and just do it if you just want to do it um you'd be surprised how far you get and also <laughs> when you actually get into it you'd be surprised how little all the people that you thought are really smart know uh <laughs> So it's just like, you know, so a lot of, a lot of people get intimidated about how smart you need to be or how good you need to be at one thing or the other. And it's like, you know, just, you just need to get into it. You just need to do it. Uh, if it's, if it's something that you want to do, go out there and do it. Uh, you may not get the results you want the first time, but if you want to do it, just keep on with the repetition and eventually it'll be, it'll be second nature. Um, so that that's my advice. Just you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of fear. There's going to be a lot of hesitation. Uh, you might even have a lot of people telling you tell you you can't do it. But if if, if it's something you want to do, you just got to go out there and do it. And 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 you know, and once you, you know, once you jump in, it's like you know, just you know, fight your way until you uh, until you make it to the shore. For sure. Awesome. Well, people want to find out more or get in contact with you or interested in what you're doing, want to uh, want to find out uh, maybe how to collaborate or kind of work together or purchase some of the stuff that you guys are working on. What, Where can they go? Um, how do they reach you? Uh, so uh, uh, you can go to our website. It's uh, www.made.com. Uh, and, uh, and there's a, uh, there's a mailing list on there. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, people can contact me directly on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, th- those are the, those are the two easiest ways to, to get a hold of me, get a hold of, uh, get a hold of hyphen and, uh, you know, trying to collaborate with us is, is mainly go to the website or contact me on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're happy to engage with, uh, with anybody that's in this space and that's, you know, that's dedicated to, uh, you know, leveraging at, you know, advanced manufacturing and trying to, you know, reduce weight and, and, and reduce costs and, and how we currently do things. Right on. And we'll put the links in, in the, uh, all the posts that, that we threw up on, on the website. So check it out there. So. Thank you so much for the time. Excited to see where where this goes and, and all the progress you guys are making. All right. Thank you.